0: Church, you may be seated. Grab your Bibles, and I'm going to invite James, a pastoral intern from Hope Oakville, to read this morning's sermon text. Please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 8, says this. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested in the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, James. Let's pray together. Father, we have um, come to you already this morning. We have sung to you. We have made a joyful noise to you because you are the rock of our salvation. So, Father, even as we continue now to open God's word and we continue in our worship of you by listening to God's word, we pray that we would come into your presence with thanksgiving, that we would make a joyful noise to you with songs of praise because you are a great god you are the great king above all gods in your hand are the depths of the earth the heights of the mountains are yours the sea is yours because you made it your hands formed the dry land so we come to you this morning to worship and to bow down to kneel before the lord our maker because you are our god We are the people of your pasture. We are the sheep of your hand. And so, Father, we pray that we would today hear your voice and your voice alone. May your word be so loud. So please, God, we pray against any hardening of our hearts. And Spirit of God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that you would take the word of God and you would just speak directly into our hearts, directly into our lives. Do not let our hearts go astray. Keep us straight and narrow on the path that you have called us to, to be like Christ. So Father, we pray to that end. Please Father, now as we submit ourselves to the authority of your word and our lives, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take out your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1 uh, this morning, and um, I want to just say it's great to be with you, and we're thankful to be with you. I want to pass on greetings from the elders and our church family at Hope Oakville. We love you. We love you. We love you. All right, so we want to support you in any way that we can. We're praying for you. I want you to know there are many people in our congregation are praying for you as a church right now, and our leaders certainly are doing that. So be assured of our prayers, and be assured of our love. I don't know how to say it any other way than that, than the fact that we love you. Okay, do you got it? All right, so Hope Oakville is behind you, we're with you, we're hanging in with you. That's where we're at this morning, and we trust that as we move together uh, forward together, that would be just a great blessing. We are in the sermon series called Grounded and Living Faithfully in a Broken World. And you know this is true. I know this is true. It's not easy. It's not easy to live in a broken, divided, and what seems like an ever-shifting, changing world. Anyone, like, anyone with me? Does it feel like that to you? It feels like, I don't know. I don't know if I can take much more, right? It's so... It seems like every week there's more and more happening. It's just not, it's hard to kind of wrap our arms or our hearts around that. And it's not easy to live in this broken world because it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. Living faithfully is a spiritual battle, right? The Apostle Paul said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against what? principalities, the powers of the air. We wrestle against the the devil himself. There are these challenges that are ever-present. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a flat-out spiritual battle. That's why it's so difficult to live faithfully in the midst of a broken world. And add to that, that because we're human beings, we're prone to Right, We are prone, we have this tendency to seek solutions outside of Jesus Christ that are actually only found in Jesus Christ. We have this tendency to do that. And this letter, 2 Timothy, is just a great, great example of that. Timothy is struggling with his faith. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. He's in a spiritual battle to live and serve faithfully. He is discouraged. He's under attack. He's thinking, actually thinking about quitting. And he is struggling with his faith and he's struggling with his ministry. And so the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter, 2 Timothy, to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, he says to him in verses 8 through 12, he reminds him of Jesus and he specifically points him to the good news about Jesus. And he says this in verse 8, don't be ashamed. Right? Don't be ashamed of me, he says. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, but share in the suffering. And then he repeats that again in verse 12, when he says in verse 12, I am not ashamed. In other words, what he's saying to Timothy is, don't turn away from the gospel. And if you're going to live faithfully, you can't, you must not turn away from the gospel. You can't turn away from it. But the passage we're going to look at this morning is actually verses 13 through 18. And Paul turns the negative of don't be ashamed into a positive. He tells Timothy that living faithfully in a broken and divided world actually requires a passionate pursuit of the gospel. It's not enough to just say, I'm not going to turn away from the gospel, you actually have to passionately pursue the gospel. A lot of people I know say, I won't turn my back from the gospel, but let me ask you this question, are you passionately pursuing the gospel? And so Paul says to Timothy, if you are going to truly live faithfully in this broken and divided world, you're going to have to do something positive, and that is passionately pursue after the gospel. So you say, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Hey, let's look at verse 13 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look what it says. It says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's your first point. Hold on to the gospel. Hold on to it. He says there is a, Timothy, he says there is a pattern that you have to follow. The Holy Spirit of God is saying this to you this morning. There is a pattern that you must follow. That word pattern means artist sketch. Now, I wish I could do this. I can't do this for a lot of reasons. I'll just blame it on COVID. Um, Wouldn't it be awesome if we could all get on a plane and we could just fly over to Paris right now? and on a day like today especially on a day like today a beautiful weather day in paris if you were in paris you would see all of these artists in paris they're all they're they're sketching they're making sketches of these beautiful cathedrals that are spread out all around the city of paris or a little nook that they're they're all making these little sketches and many of them they make these sketches and when they're done the sketch They would take that sketch and go back to their studio and they would paint their painting based on the sketch that they had just taken. That's what this word means here when he says in verse 13, follow the pattern. He's saying follow the sketch, follow the artist's sketch. Or maybe some of you aren't artists. Think of it like an architect and an engineer working together to come up with a blueprint to hand off to the people at the construction site. It would be a really bad idea tomorrow for you to wake up and say, Hey, I'm gonna build a house. Just, you know, and I'm gonna do it like just out of memory. Just gonna kind of show up at the site and I'll just do whatever I'm gonna do. No, you don't do that. What do you have to do? You have to, first of all, you have to create a set of plans. And as you create those set of plans, those plans help guide you in the development or the construction of that building. That's what the word pattern means. Okay, an artist's sketch or a blueprint that an architect comes up with the hand-off thing. Now, when I was young, I was not good at art. There were a lot of classes I was good at, like gym and recess, right? I excelled at those courses. Um, but when it came to art, I, I just couldn't draw. But I learned how to trace, right? So some of you can relate. You can't draw, but man, you can trace. And I learned how to take out a blank piece of paper, and if I took out a blank piece of paper, I could actually take that blank piece of paper and put it down on top of somebody else's artwork, maybe even a Monet, and actually actually trace out the lines of the artist's artwork and then learn how to color within those lines that's what the apostle paul is saying to timothy when he says to him i want you you need to follow the pattern of the sound words he's saying he's saying timothy don't stray from the lines okay don't stray from the lines stay inside the lines what are these lines. What is this pattern? Well, it's the sound words or the healthy words that he says that you have heard from me. Well, what's Timothy heard from the Apostle Paul? Well, he's heard from him the good news about Jesus Christ and all the truth that flows from the grace of God in Jesus Christ. I mean, consider the following. Look, Just look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1 when he says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I mean, that's good news. That's like great news. Right that's what he's learned that from Timothy but you know that Timothy that's not the only thing he learned from the apostle Paul I mean Timothy was one of his go-to guys I mean on his missionary journeys Timothy was with the apostle Paul on many of his missionary journeys and he was there when Paul actually wrote some of the letters like the church to of uh, the letter to the church at Philippi Philippians Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 says Paul and Timothy Right to the very beginning, it's like like Timothy's there, and so he's you know listening to the apostle Paul as he's writing, recording, as he's speaking out these words, and as he's writing to the church at Philippi. What does he learn in the in the letter to the Philippians? Well, he learns about unity, how that there's we're united in Christ. He learns about the humility of Jesus and how we're supposed to act humbly, like Jesus Christ. He learns about justification by faith alone. He learns about sancti- how we're sanctified through faith in Jesus Christ. Then he was there when Paul wrote the letter to the Colossian church as well. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy. And he learned what does he learn in the letter of, of the, written to the church at Colossae? He learns about the preeminence of Jesus Christ right in chapter 1. He learns about what it means to put things on and to take things off, or the letters to, to the church of Thessalonica, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. He learns about the second coming of Jesus Christ, or the letter of 1st Timothy, the first letter that was written to him while he's in, in Ephesus. He learns about soteriology, how that Jesus came to save sinners. He learns about ecclesiology, how they're supposed to worship together, or how they're supposed to care for one another, what the kind of leaders they're supposed to select. How to be content. These are the sound and healthy words. He's unpacking the story and the historic doctrines of the Christian faith. The good news of Jesus Christ and all of the truth that flows from the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Follow that pattern. That's it. That's what he's saying. Hold on to the gospel. Follow this pattern. Don't stray. Outside the lines of the historic doctrines of the faith. Stick to the biblical story. Stick to the good news. That's the pattern you have to follow. And he says there's a way you're supposed to follow that pattern. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So follow it faithfully. Like, don't decide to do it on Monday and not on Tuesday. Right? Follow it faithfully. Don't stray from the story of the good news. Don't look for solutions outside of Jesus Christ that are only found in Jesus Christ. Follow the pattern with love. Don't be angry about it. Just have the mind of Christ. Be humble, loving towards other people, even as you share this good news. Hold on to the gospel. If you're going to... If you're going to passionately pursue the gospel, you have to hold on to it. And if if we're going to do this, it's going to require of all of us a deeper discipleship. A deeper discipleship because you can only hold on to what you have. You can't hold on to something unless you have it. A deeper understanding of the story of the scripture, the deeper understanding of what the good news of Jesus Christ, a growing understanding of the historic doctrines of the faith. I just let me. There's it's time for some of us probably to get off of the spiritual milk diet and onto some spiritual solid food diet. It's time for some of us maybe to move beyond only being spiritually fed through. One person, and starting to wrestle through the meaning of Scripture with other believers, joining a group, diving into God's Word together. Because you can only hold on to what you have. I'm so convinced. I have such a strong conviction. I wish I could just preach about this one point. But such a strong and growing conviction that, we, that the depth of our understanding of the gospel... And the depth of our understanding of Scripture is so, so shallow that we are not able to decipher between right and wrong. You can only hold on to what you have. And then, this, verse 14 guard the gospel. Guard, he says, the good t- deposit that's entrusted you. Look what he says in verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good d- deposit entrusted to you. Now, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you, you know that, that the only way that you can have a relationship with the God of this universe, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, Is through faith in Jesus Christ. If you have done that, you have been given an awesome gift. this This is where a preacher is like, please somebody say amen. Please somebody say amen. Thank you. You've been given an awesome gift. Right? Look at how he describes it. He says, it's good right it's good it's a beautiful precious gift that's been given to you by grace through faith he calls it a deposit that is that god himself god himself has invested in you he has given it to you he's entrusted to you this precious gift it's called salvation in jesus christ it's called the good news he god himself has chosen to deposit that in you, to place that in you. He's entrusted it to you. That's the idea of it's not only for you, but it's also also for you then to actually share with others. That's what he means when he says this in verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard this, okay, guard, the good deposit entrusted to you. This beautiful, beautiful gift called salvation in Jesus Christ That God himself has deposited in you. He has entrusted it to you. Oh. He's given it to you. And he says this. Guard it. Guard it. Protect it. Keep it safe. Protect it so it's not lost or damaged. You see, there's an ever-present danger to the gospel. It's moving the lines or coloring outside the lines. My, my mom and dad always taught me when I was younger, you know, after I learned how to trace really well, they said, Well, if he's going to trace, we'll let him trace. And then they said, But make sure you color inside the lines. And so I learned, I learned early on, my parents kind of instilled in me, if I was going to do a really good job at this fake artwork of mine, I had to at least learn how to color inside the lines that I had developed. Like, don't go. My mom, I can still remember conversations I had with my mom. Oh, that was a really good job, Ro, but Look at you went outside the lines here, right? And I said, Oh, yeah, I was trying not to go outside the lines. I just wanted to kind of trace over, make, but I went outside the lines. This is this is the ever-present danger to the gospel. It is us moving the lines changing the lines, the boundaries of the gospel, and or coloring outside of the lines of the gospel. There are external threats, false gospels, false good news messages out there that, that make us sometimes think about, well, maybe we should move the lines. Like, we're basically the we're basically good enough gospel that's the gospel you hear at funerals sometimes you know where people talk about the good things that somebody did they you know rarely do you ever hear at a funeral anything bad that somebody did even though most people know that in the crowd that somebody probably did they you know they weren't perfect but you tend to and i get it like it's you know you're celebrating a person's life and saying a lot of good things, the impression that sometimes you get when you hear that, if there's no message of about Jesus, there's no message about the good news, you just think the message is, well, they, they did enough good things, so I guess they're okay. That's the, we're basically good enough gospel. There's the one that's really prevalent today, the sincerely believe in something gospel, that says to you, that's like, well... I believe in what I believe, and you believe in what you believe. Let's just make sure as long as you sincerely believe in what you believe, then I guess we'll both be okay. Right. That's out there, right? That's the gospel of inclusivity. Right? Everybody's okay. Right? Your your neighbor may believe one thing and you might believe something else, but as long as you are each faithful to whatever you're believing, you believe it well, then you're both going to be okay. No, that's, that's, not, that's not true. That You're moving the lines. That's not what the Scripture teaches. It doesn't teach that. Or there's prosperity gospel, or there's the faith in Jesus plus gospel, like the church at Galatia had to deal with. There are external threats to the gospel. But there's also internal threats to the gospel. There are things that you and I both struggle with Internally. I reminded of the Apostle Paul's reminder in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Right? Can we put that up on the screen? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Two key words there. Don't be conformed, but be what? Transformed. Right? In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying, what the Spirit of God is saying to us this morning, we know this is true. There are all these messages that are around us that we tend to conform ourselves to. You must fight against being conformed. And the only way you can do that is by transforming through the renewal of your mind. There's an ongoing process we have to go through. We have to transform our, our minds. There is this internal threat to the gospel when we just become very passive with what we are listening to and what is being presented to us and we're not able to, in our minds, through the renewal of the Spirit of God, in our minds, transforming our minds to say to that, that's false, this is right. That's the challenge. We have to guard it, Paul says. He said that to Timothy. I mean, Timothy. I mean, Timothy's like, his protege, he's like the guy who studied under the Apostle Paul, and even Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you've got to guard this. You must, must guard this. And how do we guard? He says, there, he says there in verse 14, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. In other words, this is a spiritual battle. We are totally and prayerfully dependent on the Spirit of God. It can't be left up to you to just kind of do the transformation. We should be on our hands and knees every single day crying out to the Lord Lord, please help me renew my mind. I need your spirit to do this. This is a spiritual battle. I have to guard the gospel in my life. This is a spiritual battle. You are in the midst of a spiritual battle. Our culture is pressing in on you, and you're in the midst of a spiritual battle. And the Spirit of God is the one who must transform. And if we are going to guard the gospel, it's going to require of us a deeper delight in the gospel. Because you will only protect what you treasure. Just think about your life. What are the things that you protect? They're the things that you treasure. And you and I will only guard the gospel if we increase in our delight of the gospel. It's like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, when he's talking about the parable of the hidden treasure. You see that? Matthew, there it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, how in the the world could he have joy? The only way he could have had joy in selling everything that he had so that he could go and buy that field is if he knew that what was in the field was a greater treasure than what he had. And you and you and I will never guard the gospel the way that we're supposed to guard it in our lives unless we treasure the gospel that we understand that it is the treasure. It's the treasure in our lives. How great is your love for God and the gift of the gospel to to think that the God of this universe left heaven and took on the form of a man, not only the form of a man, but he actually became a baby. The one who is totally independent, the one who is transcendent, the one who is above and beyond all things became dependent as a man on this earth, as a baby on this earth with a teenager in a stable. God humbled himself. The one who does not need to be humbled, the one who seeks glory for his name And nobody complains about that, because he is the one who is worthy of all glory. That one, the God of this universe, stepped down out of heaven to come to this earth to humble himself, to humble himself, to live a life that was perfect, to die on the cross for us. Come on. Is there anything more precious than that? And then he rose again the third day, victorious over death, so that you and I could one day have victory over death ourselves. Man. So we we hold on to the gospel, we guard the gospel, and here, third thing, verses fifteen through eighteen, we live courageously for the gospel. Look at what it says in verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Nonesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus." Now, one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul when I read through the New Testament is his capacity for relationships. Um, you know, he's not just a guy on mission; he's actually in relationship with other people while he's while he's doing that. He's spiritually and he's emotionally attached to those he ministered to and those he partnered with in the gospel. And that's why people in the New Testament, when you read through the New Testament, that's why you'll find that people become one of the greatest sources of joy for the Apostle Paul, but also one of the greatest sources of pain for the Apostle Paul. And we have two examples of that here in verses 15 through 18. We have two examples. One's an example of discouragement, and one's an, an example of great encouragement. And they're both there to illustrate what he's been teaching in verses eight through 14. He's talking about cowardice and being courageous. So let's look at the cowards first. I always like, to, let's pick on the cowards first before we look at the courageous people. right? So let's look at the, at the coward, Verse 15. See what it says? You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away, away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, we don't know a lot about the details behind verse 15. We just know the results. It says that all in Asia, and uh, who and Phygelus and Hermogenes, probably two key leaders. or people that the Apostle Paul knew very well who are part of this group. He says, they all turned away from me. We do know that in Acts chapter 19, what the Apostle Paul used to do is he would spend, uh, and when he was in Ephesus, he spent the first part of his day, he went and did his work, like his, his, what we call his day job, right? He did his day job, he made tents, right? And while he was there for the first half of the day, and then the second half of his day, he would gather together a bunch of disciples, and he would go to this place, and he would actually disciple them or teach them what all these things that we are able to read in the New Testament he spent time unpacking for them the the amazing gospel and all these kind of teaching. He would teach them that and then when they were done their teaching times that he would release these people and they would go out across Asia and people came to know Christ. That's what Paul did. So while he was there 18 months in Ephesus, he was doing his day job and then in his afternoon job as afternoon time he was pouring his life into some other people who are going out and being released and people who are coming to know Christ. That's the backdrop to this passage here in 2 Timothy 1, verse 15, when he talks about everybody in Asia. These people that have come to know Christ, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, we don't know the details of this, but we do know Timothy did. He says, Paul says, you are aware. So Timothy knew. He was like, he totally knew. Something's happened. In one moment, these people used to be on Paul's side, and in another moment, now they, are, they have nothing to do with the Apostle Paul. Now, Inessa Forrest, the one we're going to look at in just a minute, he's the exact opposite, right? It says that he wasn't ashamed. He wasn't ashamed of my chains. I think that's a clue for us. They didn't want to be associated. They wanted to have nothing to do with the Apostle Paul, with his suffering, and with his imprisonment. I mean, that's what he's been talking to Timothy about since verse 8. Do you know that the gospel is controversial? Right? Have you ever tried to share the gospel with somebody recently? Do you know what can be pretty controversial? Like, when you tell the story of Scripture, when you say to people, "I believe that God created the world," that's like right out the. Let's just like that's Genesis chapter one. That's like just the start. We me to unpack the rest of the chapters. We're just talking about chapter one. That can be pretty controversial. Not only that, then the story goes on, and we're talking about not only about creation, but then we say, "Oh yes," and then he created Adam and Eve, and we believe they're historical figures, and 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 oh yeah, like they they sinned, and because they sinned, that sin entered into the whole world, and we see that spreading out through Genesis chapter four through verse eleven, and they were rejected, and there was some judgment, and and God didn't want to leave the world the way it was, and so He initiates redemption in Genesis chapter. 3 verse 15 in Genesis chapter 12 through covenant and he unpacks all that through the rest of scripture. Eventually the king himself comes to this earth. Jesus Christ lives a perfect life, dies on the cross for us so that we can be redeemed and then those who place their faith in Jesus Christ are now on a mission, right? We're on a mission. The church is on this mission with the king's message. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ and we all believe that one day the kingdom is going to come in its fullness. We're going to be fully redeemed and, and the redemption will be complete. And those who are faith, have placed faith in Jesus Christ will enter into the kingdom of God and live with et- in all of eternity with God. And those who do not place their faith in God and Jesus Christ will spend eternity away from God in a place called hell experiencing punishment forever. That's controversial now here's the thing I believe that that's my story it's not just the story of scripture, but i i I believe it that the story of scripture actually is my story, and those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus Christ you're saying yeah that's that's My story, that's my story too. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Telling that whole story, it's actually the story of the entire world. It's the story of history. We actually believe that this is the history story of the universe, of the world. There's a beginning and there's an end. And Jesus Christ is the one that makes the difference. We actually believe, that's... It's my story. It's everybody's story. And when you begin to proclaim it like that and you say, you're saying to your neighbor, man, I just desperately want you to know Jesus Christ because you need to know Christ. If you don't know Christ, this is what your future, you've got to understand that's controversial. Some will believe it. Many will not believe it. Jesus said that. Some will oppose it. Many, some will persecute you for it. Are you in or you're out? They were out. This first example, this discouragement—that's what they were out. They saw Paul in prison. They saw his chains. They said, I, we, "We're we're backing we're backing out from the gospel. We're backing away from the Apostle Paul. Ultimately, as Paul has already said in verses eight through twelve, they're backing away from the gospel itself, and it. They're out. Are you in or are you out? That's an important question. Because as you... As you are you know i i don't I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Nobody knows what's going to happen next week or tomorrow i ha- we have no idea, but I'll tell you how I feel okay what I'm feeling in the the era in which we're living, the times in which we're living it's just it's just getting more and more increasingly more and more. The opposition is increasing more and more, and I don't know if persecution's around the corner. I have no idea. But it might be. And that's when you have to ask yourself the question: am I in or am I out? Now, in contrast to these people in Asia, you have the courageous one, Onesiphorus, in verse 16. Do you see what it says in verse 16? It says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Nesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. He wasn't ashamed of my chains, the Apostle Paul says. He was willing to associate himself. With Paul who was in prison he encouraged him he says he often refreshed me he did that physically obviously he probably brought supplies to the apostle Paul but he also did that spiritually he was persistent he didn't let anything get in the way of his mission he searched for the apostle Paul when he got to Rome earnestly he found him I don't know I I got a picture of him knocking on doors just trying to find where's Paul have they moved him is he in the same place he was before like where's Paul I got to get to the apostle Paul He was consistent. He not only did that in Rome with the Apostle Paul, but he actually did it in the church at Ephesus as well. And he was sacrificial. You'll notice both he and his household. you see how it starts? I grant mercy to his household. Why is Paul saying that? Because they had to sacrifice by letting him go. It's not like he jumped on a plane and flew from one city to Rome. Right? He would have had to get on a ship. He would have... I don't... He would have pra- traveled a long, long trip to get to the Apostle Paul. He sacrificed, and his family sacrificed. They sacrificed. They, 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 they didn't let inconvenience get in the way. They didn't let comfort get in the way. They took risks. He was away for a long time. They did it all at their own personal cost. Why? 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 Because it was about the gospel. That's why. Living courageously requires a deeper devotion to the gospel because you will only sacrifice for what's most important. You will only sacrifice for what's most important. What's your main priority in your life? What are the things that gain priority in your life? What is your priority in life? The Apostle Paul is telling Timothy and the Spirit of God is telling us today that we have to hold on to the gospel, we have to guard it, and we have to live courageously for it. And that only happened when when we realize the importance of the gospel in our life. Are we in or are we out? Come on. Are you in or you're out? See living faithfully is it's it's a battle. It's a spiritual battle and the opposition that followers of Jesus face is increasing. We need a passionate pursuit of the gospel. We have to hold on to it, we have to guard it, we have to live courageously for it. Because the gospel's everything. What Jesus has done for us is everything. Without that, I have, you have nothing. Let's pray together. So, Father, I just, again, we pray, even as we prayed earlier today, we pray the same prayer. May the word of God not be bound. God, may the word of God be, just go freely into our lives, into our hearts right now. God, I, I ask for those of us who are struggling right now for of live, being able to live full out for you. God, may the gospel become the priority in our lives. May we hold on to it. May we guard it. May we live courageously for it. Father, we long, we long for that. We want to live for Christ. So, Father, we pray for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Please, Father, please, Spirit of God, do the work you need to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name.